Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us this morning and guiding us to the throne. If you have your Bible with you, I invite your attention to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We're looking at chapter 8. We have been walking through this incredible book, looking for meaning and purpose in life. And the preacher of this story, he is called that, the Koheleth, the preacher tells the story of life under the sun, what life is like without God, and then he begins to show us what life is like with God, when we trust God. And so today we pick up in chapter 8, and as we look at this together, I think we'll begin to see some uniquely uh, timely things. In fact, I've shared this with you often. I do an annual retreat where I get away and I plan and prepare sermons, and in looking at this text, it was about a year ago that it came together And it's going to speak to some things about authority that I didn't like this week. I'll just be honest. As I look at the situation of God and government, I look at our country, I look at this passage of Scripture and just struggle. But we're going to look at what God's Word says and take that for all that we understand God wanting us to have. I'm told that there are two sets of rules when flying an aircraft. There's VFR and there's IFR. VFR stands for visual flight rules, and IFR stands for instrument flight rules. And depending on the weather conditions, that really sets the direction of which one you're going to follow. A pilot may opt for either under most circumstances if the weather is good, but the weather certainly is uh, the depending factor or the determining factor rather as to whether a pilot begins to fly by instrument only, by the panel that's before him. Now, think about this with me. VFR, let me show you a picture. You think about this, it's sort of a sea and a void. It's a lot like flying a, a, or excuse me, well, some of you, it probably fits, but it's a lot like driving a car. Under visual rules, an aircraft is flown by looking around, moving your eyes, and the pilot can see where he's going, where he's been. He can see the ground. He can see other aircraft. He just simply has got a visual look at all that's around him. He understands altitude. He understands pitch if he's climbing or descending. He keeps an eye on things around him. That is called VFR, visual flight rules. Now, it's interesting. You can't, under VFR, fly through Clouds. If clouds begin to form a block, you've got to go around, under, over. Uh, you need to keep a safe distance. And in some types of airspace, you actually have to be able to see the ground to fly on VFR. Pilots are responsible for seeing other aircraft and avoiding collisions. Now let's talk for a minute about IFR, instrument flight rules. A pilot is authorized to fly into clouds in literally zero visibility. He can't see anything in front of the windshield of his aircraft, but if he's flying by the panel, by his instrument, he navigates by reference points only dependent on the instruments in the aircraft's cockpit. A flight plan is filed ahead of time, and the flying is not completely at the pilot's discretion. There are fixed waypoints that he is to travel to, fixed points uh, of altitude that he's to go to, and those things are already determined. Church family, think with me for a moment. Imagine you're the pilot, and you're completely socked in. You don't have real confidence in your own feelings. There's zero visibility. You can't see, 
And maybe you even lose your sense in the, the motion of up and down, of altitude, of speed, of direction. You're completely disoriented in that space. And in the confusion of the thick clouds, motion throws you off. Maybe you even get a sense of vertigo. I was reading some uh, articles this week about these different flight rules, and they said in this one article that 15% of all air accidents happen because of vertigo and spatial disorientation. Pilots literally get to the place in zero visibility weather where they cannot tell which way they're headed or their altitude, and they get themselves into real trouble. I began to liken that to life. Life is like that sometimes, wouldn't you agree? You can't really make sense of what's around you. You don't have visibility. We get enveloped in suffering and we don't know which way is up. And sometimes we panic and we chuck all reason out the window and we fly straight into the ground. When you don't know what's going on, you have to fly by the instruments on the panel in a plane. You have to fly by IFR, instrument flight rules. You don't abandon your faith in life because you can't figure something out. And church family, let me say to this, we are not to punt just because God doesn't perform. He doesn't come through exactly like we wanted him to. We don't need to give up. I would say it this way, and you may want to jot this down. You trust what you know, not how you feel. You trust in what you know, not in how you feel. When a pilot is flying by panel, he is looking at those fixed reference points such that he says, well, I feel like we're going up and we need to go down a little farther. No, I need to trust my gauges. My gauges say that I'm leveled off. My gauges say I'm heading in the right direction. I have a fixed point based on these instruments on the panel. I need to trust them. There's certainty on the panel. And many times in our lives, we go through things we cannot understand. So how do we become the kind of people who can graciously endure the knocks of life, the bumps of life? How do we remember our smallness and God's greatness? Basically, how do you fly life by IFR, by instrument flight rules? Solomon begins to teach us these things. Solomon teaches us how to survive in a fallen world. Let me just review the last couple of weeks. In chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes, he began to tell us that evil people sometimes prosper. And that does not mean that they're happy or secure. And he helped us to see that. We get frustrated by the prospering of wickedness. And he says, oh, it won't last. In chapter 7, last week, we talked about this. He reminds us that suffering may not be the worst thing that can happen to us. That there are times when bad is better because when we go through difficulty, God gets our attention and we begin to listen and focus in a clearer way. And now in chapter 8, Solomon's going to show us that wisdom endures even when it doesn't understand. That we don't give in to what we feel, we trust in what we know that we have a reference point, that God's word becomes for us the gauge on the instrumentation panel and that God's word becomes a guide for us like a GPS. It becomes for us that which steers and navigates our way even through the clouds of suffering and uncertainty and difficulty. Now, as we think through that, we need to be reminded that Solomon is giving us counsel for how to live stable lives 
in an unstable, unpredictable world, including directives about how to live under imperfect authority. I needed this text this week. My blood pressure went up with presidential mandates. My, my thought processes were angered and frustrated as I looked at them. And yet we come to this place and we look at scripture and we begin to see, God, how do you want us to live in 2021 in the United States of America as believers in Jesus Christ? Let me say this before we read our text, you can learn the matter of things, but you better begin to learn the meaning of things. You can apply yourself to all manner of disciplines, physics and engineering, mathematics and English. You can study philosophy. You can study history. You can study all of these various um, disciplines of life, math, science, biology, medicine. But without theology, they're all meaningless. Without an understanding of the meaning of life, without an understanding of a reference point that is beyond ourselves, you will find yourself completely frustrated. Life has no ultimate meaning or purpose without God in the equation. Adrian Rogers often said this, the greatest thing you can have in life is an open, well-read Bible. And I would say this morning that we need to go back to that again and again. And let me say this to you. We shared a bit about this this morning in our starting point class. But if you're looking for a church home, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're a college student and you're looking for a place to grow and develop for the next several years while you're here in Hattiesburg, or maybe you're at a place where you're older in life and your nest is emptied and you're just looking for a reference point, can I tell you, find a church that's stands on the word of God as God's infallible word. Stand on God's promises as the ultimate truth of life. It is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is the guide for our lives. And as your pastor, I have nothing more to tell you than God's word. If I begin to give my opinions on matters, then we have stepped out of bounds. My job is not to fill the pews, it's to fill the pulpit. And the only message that I have is to preach Christ and him crucified, to preach his word in season, out of season. So that's the kind of church that you're sitting in this morning. We want the word of God to be preeminent in all things. Amen. You can learn about the matter of all sorts of things, but you better learn about the meaning. You can devote yourself to those disciplines, but you need to know Christ because he fits it all together. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. Obey the king since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty and don't stand with those who plot evil for the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right for there is a time and a way for everything even when a person is in trouble. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know what is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. In the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun where people have the power 
to hurt each other. Let me break this down to the simplest form. He says over and over again, life under the sun is meaningless. Life above the sun gives meaning, illuminates the life that we live. So I would say this, do right, don't worry, trust God. That would be a great place for an amen. Some of you in all the turmoil and all of the scuttlebutt of our day and all of the uh, language that we share, we are constantly bombarded with language. We're constantly bombarded with opinions. We're constantly bombarded with a news feed that gives to us all manner of ideas and opinions. Why don't I just boil it down and say, do right, don't worry, trust God. If we would follow that mantra tomorrow, it would change your workplace. It'll change your family. It'll change the course of your life. If you would do right. Now, we obviously understand that doing right in the midst of the clouds can't be done by sight. We have to do it by instrumentation. We have to follow the panel, the instructions. There are set waypoints. I'm not telling you do what you think is right. Do what you feel is right. I'm saying do what God says is right. And if we'll follow God's plan and his purpose for our life, then we won't worry and we'll simply trust him. Let me give you this word, poised. Write that word down somewhere. Be poised. I love this word. It is so close to many other words in our English language, like the word posit or the word pose. Now, some of you get that. I've seen some of you make duck lips taking selfies. You know how to pose. You know how to freeze in place. Some of you that may be over a certain age have no idea what I'm talking about. Trust me, if you've seen some of our teenagers taking selfies, you'll understand what that looks like. They pose to get just the right angle. But posing and poise are similar. It means to freeze, to stay in place regardless of the circumstance. And in the midst of being poised, it means that I'm not going to get rattled by my circumstances. Let me give you an analogy in the sports world. It's the ninth inning. There are two outs. The batter gets up and there's one on. And he hits the ball to the shortstop and the shortstop fumbles with it. He bobbles the ball. He makes an error. And now the runners have advanced. Well, he can in doom and gloom throw his glove down and walk off. He can quit or he can let it get in his head and and now the next batter comes up. Let's just say it's the cleanup batter. It's there in that part of the order. This is their best hitter. And now he's worried because he may have been the one that gives up the winning run to lose the World Series. Poise means that he sets that aside. He puts that in history. He focuses. He stands where he's supposed to stand. He does what he's supposed to do. He focuses on what he's supposed to focus on, and he makes the next play. It's the quarterback that throws an interception and says, my bad, I got it. And he comes back next time, and that's history, and now he moves forward in his job. We need to be poised. And the way to be poised in an uncertain world is very simple. Do right. Don't worry, trust God. The idea of being poised really is not always seen in our lives. Let me, let me ask you this. How many of you know a Christian somewhere across your life when things didn't work out, they got really rattled? Maybe they even lost their faith. When we lose our trust in God, we become embittered and we become walking sores that infect everybody around us. I've met so many people that are there that life 
handed them some difficult blow and that blow literally took their faith away. They walked in struggle through it. They, they were disoriented with vertigo and they said, I don't know which way is up and which way is down. I don't know if I can trust the gauges on the instrumentation panel. So Ecclesiastes applies to us all. In the very first verse, in one verse, he asserts that wisdom is the very best thing we can have in life and real wisdom is to know the will of God. He asks a great question. Look at verse one with me again. Who is like the wise man? He, he says it this way literally. How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. What he's saying is to live this way. You need to live with wisdom over worry because God is in control. When we understand that everything that we have studied in the book of Daniel, everything that we've studied about predictive prophecy and the unfolding of the end times that we are living in today, exactly what we've seen God said would happen. Why would we not want that to happen? Well, we don't want to go through it, Pastor. I understand. But when we ask the question, what is this world coming to? It's the wrong question. The question is, who is coming to this world? And Jesus Christ will return one day, I believe soon, I can say with definitive authority, sooner today than it's ever been before, right? Don't ask me when, I just know we're closer now than we were yesterday. And we're closer now than when I said it 30 seconds ago. And now we're closer than we were then. I'll stop. We are marching forward. Some of you get that. It's the song that never ends. You're welcome. I just planted a seed in your head and you'll be singing that this afternoon, parents. Sorry. But we have wisdom over worry. Why? Because God is in control. Solomon says a wise person is illumined and they have so much joy that it radiates on their face. I love this. A person with a Bible in their hand and the will of God in their mind is unshakable. Yet again, a great place for an amen. Think about that. A person with a Bible in their hand and the will of God in their mind and in their heart, they're unflappable, they're unshakable, they're unsmashable. They stand with resolve and say, it doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what plague or pestilence. It doesn't matter what pandemic. It doesn't matter what government decree. It doesn't matter what financial woe. I'm in the hand of a sovereign God. He's in control, so I'll live with wisdom over worry. I will do good. I will not worry, and I will trust God. Wisdom brings poise because a person who has biblical wisdom is assured of what is right. There's no greater privilege than understanding life, where we came from, why we're here, where we're headed. And the only construct that gives you clarity on all of those major questions is Christianity. Where did we come from? Well, the Bible starts pretty good solid ground. In the beginning, God. Where are we headed? We come to the end and he's returning and he will establish a kingdom forever. What's right and what's wrong? God establishes moral law. Why are we here? The purpose of our lives is to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And we see all of that in the pages of scripture, somewhere between the table of contents and the maps, between Genesis and Revelation, you see the inspired word of God guiding us with illuminating power to give us joy. 
And I see so many Christians that are living beneath the privilege of joy. They're frustrated and anxious and they're worried and they're consumed with the circumstances. And poise says, I'm not worried about the circumstances, I'm worried about what's inside. And if Jesus Christ is on the inside, then when you get jostled, Jesus is what will come out. Some things in life can be frustrating and perplexing. I recognize that. There will be things that you do not understand and cannot provide explanation. But in a world full of questions, it's wonderful to know those absolutes are settled in the Word of God. You know, it sort of took me back this week to a song of my childhood. Some of you have got some southern gospel roots somewhere in the back. But I I thought about this. the, The words of the song were, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure's laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Can I just be honest and tell you that until fairly recently, I had no idea what I was singing? For us in the English-speaking West, you and I need to recognize that this world has seemed pretty much like home. We have lived our life very much at home, and our treasures have been right before our eyes, not laid up somewhere else. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, perhaps it's only been in the last few years that in the United States we've begun to see what the Bible says in 1 Peter, that we are sojourners and exiles here. That reality has been clouded and obscured by the size and the legal protection of the church in the Western world. But this world is actually not our home. We're not supposed to settle down here. We're not supposed to expect the church to be large and influential and respected. In fact, this is one of the first times in the history of civilization over these last decade, or excuse me, the last century that we've seen that occur. All throughout history, we've seen Christians that have been increasingly down this different path of not a good way of change where they were marginalized and persecuted. And I believe we are going to increasingly have to begin to choose between obedience and comfort. Maybe you've experienced in your job. Maybe you've been pressed or pressured to make decisions. But I believe that the next decades will bring to us not just apathy toward the gospel, but antagonism. We're going to be painted as judgmental and bigoted and wrong if we take a stand on the word of God. And that's okay. After all, It's been said that the reality for most people throughout history, their Christian experience has been just that. And Christ said it would be that way. He said those that live godly lives will suffer persecution. There will be a time that maybe they come and they knock on the door and say, Pastor, you can't preach that. And I'll say, thank you very much. I'll take that under advisement. Open your Bibles to the next chapter. Because we're going to preach and teach the Word of God. And I'm not thumbing my nose arrogantly. I'm saying we would rather obey God than man. Amen? And we better have that kind of a mindset. Christians are going to see this. But look at the Scriptures. Obey the King since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty. And don't stand with those who plot evil. For the King can do whatever He wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obeyed Him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. All right, Pastor. How am I supposed to react to a government that is ungodly? I want to tell you this, and you need to write this down. Being a Christian is not a matter of right versus left. It's a matter of right versus wrong. 
regardless of political affiliation, you stand on the word of God. You don't base it on your own convictions, your own preferences, your own opinions. You base it on God's word. And we stand boldly in the public square and we proclaim that Christ is king and we make moral decisions in the voting booth and we need to do all of those things. We must do all of those things, but we need to recognize that God is clear that we here establish, uh, we, we follow his established authority and we're to trust him. Don't let the world rattle you. I'll just be honest. I have heartburn when I watch the news for very long, but I got to ask myself, Scott, are you more worried about Joe Biden and what he might do or what Jesus already did? How do we apply this? In the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Samuel, David lived as an example, enduring an evil king. In fact, I want us to think about this. The king was even trying to kill him. Do you remember that king's name? Saul, Saul chased David. He was absolutely riddled with jealousy and, and he longed to kill young David. And his heart just continually grew in wickedness. David wouldn't kill him. David had given an oath that he wouldn't kill him. In fact, he said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David would not be ruled by his feelings or circumstances or peers, and neither should you or I. Let, let me just read this to you. We'll see it together on the screen from 1 Samuel chapter 24. And Saul returned from fighting the Philistines. He was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. I'll just tell you, January a year ago, we stood and overlooked the valley of En Gedi and saw all of those caves, and it amazes me that 3,000 men would scatter out. You talk about finding a needle in a haystack, but they walked into the very cave that David was in and what was going on. Look at this. Verse 3, at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. It's in Scripture. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity. His men began to whisper to him, Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do as you wish. Now, I just want to pause there and say, I'm David. This joker's been trying to kill me for months. He has chased me. I've lived in caves. I've been flea-bitten in caves. I've not had good meals. I've not had a good shower. I've not been in any place of comfort because this man has tormented me, and there he is. And I've got a sword in my hand, and he's preoccupied, and if I wanted to kill him, I could. And all my men are saying, God has handed him to you. You better test whether something is from the Lord or not, even when somebody else is telling you, go for it. You can get all kinds of godless advice from so-called godly people. I'll never forget in the movie Fireproof, the, the husband and the wife are having difficulty, and she's out to eat with her friends, and they're saying, girl, he doesn't deserve you. You ought to leave him. You need a place to stay? Come on. What does the Bible say about divorce in that circumstance? That God hates divorce. Not that he hates divorced people, but he knows what it does to people. And their encouragement, you just leave him. It doesn't matter what God's word said. You fly not by instrument, but by, by sight. 
I know it's cloudy, but you can fly through the clouds on your own, and more than likely that's vertigo, and you're going to hit the ground. Today the Lord's telling you he's yours. David crept forward, and he cut a piece off the hem of Saul's robe. Verse 5. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to the Lord the king, my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Let me give you three quick principles and we're going to run through this. I want you to see it. I think this will be significant. Number one, agreement does not equal authority. Agreement does not equal authority. Students, listen to me. Whether you're college students, I know a lot of you are back there. We've got some over here and some of our middle and high school students. Listen to me. Peer pressure is obviously real, but just because the crowd's heading in one direction does not mean that you ought to and that you should. Agreement does not equal authority. All of David's men said, this is God's will. He has given this man to you. It looks good. It sounds good. It feels good. I ought to kill him. No. David said, I'm going to do the right thing. Well, if you don't kill him now, he's going to continue to try to kill you. Do right. Don't worry. Trust God. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Agreement does not equal authority. When peer pressure comes, listen to the voice of God, not the group. If someone feeds into you godless advice, don't listen to it. Don't take it. Don't let the crowd overrule conscience. Number two, opportunity does not equal propriety. Opportunity does not equal propriety. Let me put that in just southern, uh, just in southern vernacular in, in the Hanbury translation. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Opportunity doesn't equal propriety. Just because something presents itself doesn't make it right. You can't control everything in life, and that's okay. Obey the moral will of God and do what he commands you to do. And the only way to obey what he commands you to do is to know what he commands you to do. So you better spend time in the word. When it comes to this idea of obeying a godless government, David said, I can take matters into my own hands. And some of you have pulled out your sword and you've come dangerously close, not just to cutting the hem, but cutting the whole garment on social media. I don't have the right to do wrong simply because I disagree. Do right, don't worry, trust God. Let me ask you this, are you spending time in God's word? Are you walking with him? Are you serving him? Are you sharing his word? Are you in his will? Are are you doing the things that are well in your control and not worrying about the things that are outside your control? Let me ask you this. When's the last time that you lied to manipulate your circumstances? Think about that with me. At any level, it may just have been one of those little innocent lies that tried to make you look a little better. You know, the biggest problem with lying is remembering the lie. You got to have a good memory to be a liar. I mean, think about this. Let's just imagine you tell somebody that you are a two-time All-American at USM. In actuality, you were kicked off the walk-off squad at PRC. And then you told somebody else that right out of high school, the Braves came looking for you. Well, you sit down to eat at Chesterfields, and somebody walks up to you, and you begin to talk, and you go, now, wait a minute. Is this the USM guy or the Braves guy? And you start getting them mixed up. 
You got to have a good long memory to be a good liar. And you see what happens? Sin is like potato chips. You can't just eat one. You'll be tempted to sin to cover it up. And you'll be tempted to do more. If you steal something, you have to lie and hide it from your family. If you cheat the government, you'll have to lie and keep up your phony tax tricks. If somebody cheats on their wife, they'll always have to wonder if she smells foreign perfume. But the truth is that you don't have to lie and sin to make your situation better because God will make things right in his time. And that's exactly what our text tells us. Don't wring your hands today over the current culture. Embrace Jesus. Don't focus on the government. Embrace Christ. Trust God. Don't fret over things you cannot control. Think back to the wickedness of Saul. Over time, we see him becoming more and more wicked. I mean, you just thought he was wicked trying to kill David. Just a few chapters later, he's consorting with a witch to find out what to do. This is the king of Israel. This is God's anointed man. And God takes his anointing off and places it on David in due time. How about 1 Peter? We don't have time to go at length, but the, the believers there are scattered and persecuted under Caesar. They are hurried and harassed. Here's a verse that'll maybe give you a little heartburn. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Look at this verse. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of these foolish people. We're not just talking about a president we don't like. We're talking about Caesar. And, and God is telling us that we need to submit yeah, he's not saying blindly obey. He's not saying let that Caesar, that emperor, that president rule your faith. What he's saying is you control you and let him do him. You and I need to understand that we've got a unique and complex calling in this, but it's not really that complex. Do right. Don't worry. Trust God. And parents, you need to begin to teach your kids that. If you sit around the table and all you ever do is have political discourse and all you ever do is grumble and complain about things that you don't like and things that were not fair, wake up to the fact that life is not fair. Under the sun, there is no meaning, there is no purpose. Tell your kids, you know what? All of those things are gonna continue to be those things. But when Jesus enters the equation, everything changes. Amen? Do you guys remember our study from Daniel last year? Say yes, please say yes, please. Oh, good, good. Praise God. Do you remember Belshazzar? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. He was the king of Babylon, and he had gone into the temple, and he had taken all of the gold and all the silver, and to mock God, they threw a big orgy. They threw a big party, and he took all of the cups, and they began to just drink. Wine's flowing freely from all of those. And when a king wrote an edict, it could not be changed. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this drunken stupor, the hand of God began to write on the wall. And it wrote that his days had been measured and weighed and come up short. And God was telling him, your time is over. 
And that night, his kingdom collapsed. That night, his empire was crushed. God took it from him and gave it to the Medes and to the Persians. It was amazing to think that you want to see that God is in control. Look there, no further than Scripture. Let me ask you this. Can God take out a wicked ruler any time he wants? You better believe it. We can pray for that. We can ask that. Look at Romans 9, 17. It'll be on the screen. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh. Wait a minute, God's speaking to Pharaoh? Yeah. In fact, it says in one place in scripture, have you considered my servant Pharaoh? I have appointed you. I mean, God spoke to him. God said, I literally raised you up. Why? For the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. Did he do so so by Pharaoh worshiping God? No. God crushed Pharaoh and said, I'm doing that so the whole world will see that you are not God, I am. And God can raise up his own name and his own power. This is a powerful principle for us. Verse six, we're moving forward. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight when a man's trouble is heavy upon him. Listen, folks, when my life is a burden and it's heavy and my heart is broken, I need to remember that there's a proper time and procedure for every delight. There'll be a time when the trouble is gone. There'll be times of laughter yet again. There'll be a time when God's good purposes, when everything is turned upright again. That's important for me to understand. Just because the world says do it doesn't give me authority. Just because the opportunity presents itself means it's right. Number three, I want you to see this. There is never a wrong time to do the right thing. But pastor, I don't think that the Solomon understood what we would be going through in 2021. There's nothing new under the sun, even to this day. He understood godlessness. He understood wickedness. If you have trouble right now, know this. All of this is under the sovereign purposes of God. Change what you can, but stop sinning by worrying about what you cannot change. Let me ask you this. If you're going through great struggles right now, any of you going through some struggle personally, going through struggle with the environment that we live in? If so, how much of your difficulties involve things that you can change? And how much of it involves things that you can't do a thing about? Verse 6 indicates that you need not worry about things you can't change. You need to rest in, trust in the sovereignty of God. Solomon reminds us that God makes time, but men make watches. That's good. If no one knows what will happen, verse 7, who can tell him when it will happen? Let me tell you this. Don't keep a stopwatch on God, people. Don't put God on your timetable. Let me say it this way. The godlessness of government does not justify, condone, or excuse sin in your life or in your mind or in your mouth. So you better guard your step, your heart, your thoughts, your social media. What I'm asking the members of this church to do is to exude the aroma of Christ. 
I want us to be so winsome to a world that they cannot deny that there is something different about us. And you can't do it. You need Christ to hold you fast. Remain poised. Here's what I'm saying. If I had to give you advice this morning, keep gathering with the church, keep singing, keep listening, keep walking with Jesus. Take the first fruits of your wealth and give them to the Lord. Spend time every day in your Bible and in prayer. Check yourself for moral impurity. Guard your tongue and your keyboard. Look at the relationship you have and ask yourself, am I willingly sharing the gospel? Am I intentionally impacting others for Christ? Those are all things you can control. And wisdom will illuminate you and your face with joy. On the things that you can't control, rest. Wait. Trust. By the way, there's precedent. Joseph waited 13 years in prison before God vindicated him. Abraham waited 25 years for a promise to be fulfilled. Jacob waited 20. The Hebrew saints in Hebrews 11, it says they waited for a lifetime and they died in faith without ever receiving the promise in this life. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem right. But the Bible says when they died, the world was worse off because the world was not worthy of them. They were believers of such magnitude that their lives impacted the world and they never received the promise. They looked by faith. Can you imagine the heavenly homecoming? What I'm saying to you is this. Don't let what you cannot understand destroy what you can enjoy. And you know to be true. In chapter 9, verse 1, he goes on. He says, For I have taken all this to heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are where? In the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. I, I wish that I could tell you this morning that if you go to church and read your Bible and pray that nothing evil will ever happen to you. I cannot. In fact, I think it's dangerous and cruel in this day and age to promote this idea that bad things can't happen to Christians. And there's a whole lot of theology that says that. God is not easily understood, and Solomon says that all men are in the hand of God. He's sovereign, and he doesn't tell us all the answers, and he doesn't have to. He doesn't let us in on all his plans. But we can be certain of this. He is a loving father that promised that he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. Martin Luther was a German monk. He lived a devoted life of works. He was a professor at Wittenberg University, and he read and he studied. And he tried the best he could to earn the favor of God. And in Martin Luther's studies, he was strangely disturbed by Scripture as he read about the crucifixion of Jesus. As he read the text where Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you, help me out, forsaken me, Luther couldn't understand it. In all of my monastic life, I've tried to earn heaven by good deeds. Why did evil crush Jesus, someone who had done no wrong? The simple truth that salvation through the cross that you and I rejoice in, Martin Luther couldn't understand. He struggled. Why did this perfect man have to die? 
Later on, Luther was reading in the book of Romans, and he came to Romans 1.17, and it saw where it's, he saw where it said this, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. He understood that righteousness comes by faith alone. He understood that men are not righteous because they earn righteousness of God, but they're righteous because God gives them righteousness through faith. He understood that because of the righteousness of God is given to man through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, suddenly it all fit together for Martin Luther. Jesus was forsaken so that in His infinite wisdom, God could save sinners like you and me. Christ died for us, perfect, righteous, for the imperfect, the guilty. And he's given to us the salvation that comes in the satisfied wrath of God. All the wrath of God was poured out on the cross. Luther bowed his head wept into the pages of Romans 1, trusted Jesus Christ for his salvation. And he said, I had such a great joy, it was as if I had entered the very gates of heaven. Today, each and every one of you have a loving heavenly Father that has offered to you eternal life by his satisfied wrath in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he offers to you eternal life because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He gave up his own son to be reconciling you to himself, proving his ultimate and lasting love regardless of what current difficulties you and I may face. So my encouragement is this, obey what you know to obey. Enjoy what you can enjoy and for the rest of it, leave it up to God. The timing and the purposes of a sovereign God who is over all. What I'm saying is that we can begin to enjoy life even in the chaos of pandemic, even in the chaos of political turmoil, even in the chaos of uncertainty, in economic distress. We can enjoy God by doing right. What is doing right? Trust the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Call on his name today. Pray to him every day. Walk in his word. Gather with the church. Influence the community. Be salt and light. And when life throws you into a bank of dark clouds, make sure that you're not flying by sight. You're not doing visual flight. Oh, no, 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 no. You're flying by the gauges on the panel. You're trusting in what you know is certain. Amen? Oh, that God would lead us to be those kind of Christians. Oh, that God would lead us to be that kind of church. May we pray together. Father, I pray in this moment that you have touched and stirred hearts. I pray, God, that you would move among these people and that we would let go of our own illusion of control and recognize that you're sovereign and we would trust you and that it would change our perspective on the world around us and it would change the perspective of your power within us. God, that you would move mightily in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. We're all going to stand together and sing. And as we do, this is a a song of decision. We have prayer partners that we simply call encouragers. They gather right down here. If you need prayer about anything in your life, just make your way from where you are while we're singing, and they'd be glad to pray with you. Maybe the need of your life is to be saved, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. They can help you with that. 
Maybe your desire is to join with this church, to unite and be a committed member. We would love that. They can help you with that. Let God have his way. Maybe you just need to come and pray. You can certainly come to these steps and make an altar here and just cry out to the Lord. Whatever you need um, to let God do in your life, would you open your heart to him as we sing?